Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, It is a very rainy day here in Massachusetts. I'm not sure if you can see out my back window there for those of you who are watching this on video, but uh, our stay-at-home order was just extended. School is officially called off through the end of the school year. Uh, And basically, it's just more of the same from what we've been talking about every week for what feels like, oh, I don't know, like two years or so now. Um, But life does go on and getting into and paying for college is still part of your lives if you're listening to this uh, podcast. So um, we know you have a lot of questions and we have a lot of answers. So we're going to be spending uh, the bulk of today's show answering your questions. But before we get to all of that, um, we're going to be talking to this year's group of seniors and senior parents. And I have to say that my heart goes out to all of you. Obviously, there are a lot of really serious things going on uh, in terms of people getting really sick, people dying. Um, But that doesn't mean that it isn't sad to have things like your graduation, your prom, all of those other, your entire spring sports seasons. All of these things are meaningful and you haven't gotten to do any of them. And so I do feel badly for you. Uh, Those of you who have settled on a college We did want to talk to you today about what happens next. And for that, I am pleased to welcome my colleague, Kimberly Aselta, who is a former admissions officer at both College of the Holy Cross and Babson. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. And thanks so much for being here today. Um, I wanted to basically, we know that there are actually many students who are listening who aren't sure yet what they're going to do next year. And this segment is not for them. (laughs) This is for those who have settled on a college, they've sent in their deposit, they are committed. They don't know what that's gonna look like yet, but they're committed to it. Um, And so I guess my first question for you is, what now? You know, you committed to your school, so what now? Right, what now? I would say right now, celebrate. Congratulations, right? Like, take a deep breath. This is such an exciting time. Yes, we don't know what this is going to look like, and it's a little different than last year's senior class, but take a breath, be proud of yourself, buy that sweatshirt, stick the bumper sticker on the back of the car. Remember back to back in the 90s when I made my final decision, it was a really big deal to stick that sticker in the in the window of my parents' car. So do those things. Uh, take, a, take some time to thank your supporters, the team of people that helped you get to this point. So I'm sure your teachers would love to hear a thanks and love to yes. hear what, you know, what the decision was that you ultimately made, your college counselor, your parents, you really think about those people that helped you get to this point and maybe, you know, thanking them would be nice as well. But, you know, be proud of yourself, engage with this decision and, and really celebrate it. Yeah, right absolutely. Now. I mean, as much as you can. Right. And so maybe you can't go anywhere with the sticker in the back of the car, but you could drive around <laughs> with the sticker right. in the back of the car. You could take a picture of it and post it on social media if you want to. Um, you can make a decision that you're going to wear this sweatshirt every day until this is all out, so long as you wash it. And even then, maybe you don't care about that kind of thing. Maybe the people who live with you. At this point. (laughs) Right. All bets are off. I'm all fancy today. And for those of you who can see me, I have on, Kimberly's wearing earrings. I have big big things. And, you know, we're finding ways to express ourselves however we can. Um, What about, there's definitely some administrative stuff. Um, so can you run down a little bit of what's involved with that? Sure. Right. So after all the celebration is, is said and done, there are a couple of things that you still need to tie up. So you're still going to be responsible for sending your final transcript to the school that you have chosen. You, COVID or no COVID, we would say, finish the year strong, whatever yes. that looks 
like now, if that's a past, if that's a credit grade, if it's an actual grade or letter grade, just making sure that you finish your academic year strong, uh, that would be important. Um, any school that, or the school that you chose may have allowed you to self-report scores, SAT or ACT, you might need to officially send those. So just tying up all of those loose ends, taking your AP exams, and then sending those AP scores if you want college credit. So there just are a few things uh, that the students need to worry about, uh, students and parents, perhaps paying that first tuition bill when it comes in, uh, you know, just being aware that you need to have a couple of things to, to finish up. I'd also say, make sure that you continue to check your email, the email yes. that the school has. So just because you paid and you're enrolled doesn't mean that you're not going to get email. You're going to probably have more email now. So making sure that you keep up with engaging with the school that you've now decided to be part of that community. Yeah, I mean, so much of next year is really up in the air where every day you hear a new announcement that essentially says, we don't know. <laughs> so one of the ways in which the colleges are likely to, um, to engage with you is definitely via email, via the portal. So if there's a student portal, I would even go so far as to say, make that part of your daily routine seven days a week. Get into that portal, check your email, make sure there isn't any news, make sure there isn't anything you're missing. Um, if things are really in array, a disarray at your in your local school, things like that, I do feel um, and believe that colleges are going to be very understanding. So, yep, you're going to need to get them your final transcript whenever that is available. Right. It may not be available when it normally is. And the colleges are going to understand that they're going to work with you. Um, so I think great advice there. And it may be that, uh, you know, that piece is a little up in the air as well around what will tuition be? So are you going to be paying for room and board or just for tuition? If you are just paying for tuition, will there be any kind of a break on the tuition? Um, these are going to be decisions made by the individual colleges. So more and even more important for you to remain engaged with them. So you understand not only what are you paying? When are you starting? When are those pieces due? Um, and never forget that it's okay to ask. So if you, the school really wants your transcript by the end of June and your high school is saying, there's no way you're going to get that until the end of August, pick up the phone and ask the college and explain the situation and they will help you figure out a solution. Always. Absolutely. Right. The colleges right. want you there, right? So exactly. th they're going to work with you, but well, sorry. They're going to work with you. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and that communication is a really important piece for these very important pieces of the next couple of steps, but also to stay engaged, social media, join that Facebook, the incoming class Facebook yes. page, right? Join that. Um, engage with your the fellow students and peers in that incoming class. I know that that's usually how students are finding roommates and and already coming to campus with a few people that they've connected with. So making sure that you still continue to do that. If there's an orientation, whether that's a virtual orientation or, you know, fingers crossed, that's something that happens on campus, signing up for that, you know, those things should still be part of your plan. Right. Absolutely. And so in thinking about what might be different, um, what are some suggestions you have for preparing for that part of things in as much as we can prepare, right? Right. We, we don't know what, it, what your fall semester might look like. Um, I think it is important to have a plan B and to know that this might be different. Even if you're on campus, campus might be very different than when you were visiting last spring and taking a tour. There, there may be differences in the dining hall and residence hall, um, even in you know activities like Will those big football games happen? We don't know what that's going to be like. So preparing yourself for that um, is going to be really important. I would say for parents listening too, we talk a lot at this point about getting ready to let go, getting yes. ready to change your um, your status as your child's manager to, to more of a consultant position. Mm -hmm. What's that going to look like if your student is not leaving the house, right? Right. <laughs> if, if college looks very similar to the end of high school, setting some boundaries, having your student understand what your expectations are, communicating within the household, um, and really thinking about what your student and what your parent position is going to be, 
if college ends up being at least for the first semester virtual. Right. I mean, we talk a lot about developing some adulting skills, right? So if you're not already doing your laundry, which you're not doing your laundry yet, but if you're not, now would be a great time for you to start developing that skill, for you to be responsible for changing your sheets on your bed and washing them, because hopefully you will do that when you are in college. Um, right. And and as you say, as a parent, changing a little bit of what you would do and maybe um, relinquishing some of that maybe intensive policing that you've been doing and allowing your student to have some space. Um, a story I love to tell is my first, um, when I went away to college, my parents absolutely had the attitude that, okay, you are now in college and so you are much more of adult. And so the rules that applied when you were in high school were are not in place when you come home from college. Well, my very first trip home from college, I went out with friends the night before Thanksgiving, came home at three o'clock in the morning and forgot my key. So my father had to come down and let me into the house. And what I have always really appreciated is that there were no repercussions. I was fine. I wasn't, I wasn't out late because I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. I was just visiting with friends. Um, the next day, no one even mentioned it. Then I just never forgot to bring my key again. But obviously, these are not situations that you may find yourself in because students may not be at school. But what are ways in which you can kind of make that shift from what you expected when your student was a high school student to what you expect now that they're a college student? And, right. and are there changes that you can make with that in right. mind? Absolutely. Right? Yeah, and I, I think um, a couple of other things that I might add are just, um, you know, I don't know what it's like, Kimberly, for you, you have um, two sons who are home from school. I have one teenager home from school and a stepson. We've kind of just been haphazardly, he goes into his room and it's time to do work. And we just kind of are figuring out as we go. My husband is working from home. I'm working from home. Sometimes we have four adults in this house. But if your student is going to be starting college from home in the fall, maybe be more intentional about that, right? Creating a space um, where they can do work. Is there a separate room in the house that you could turn into, in essence, your student's office? Right, right. Um, you know, maybe boost the internet. I don't know if you guys are having <laughs> internet issues where you are, but we're challenged here. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Coming up with the schedule, I think communication is going to be huge as well. I know even just this morning. I needed to say to everyone, I need an hour to prepare for my meeting at noon. And I was getting frustrated and realized they don't know what I'm doing. Right. They don't know what I'm doing with my computer in front of me. So just that communication and, and setting those expectations, I think will be helpful. I was also thinking, and, and this might be crazy, but a big rite of passage for me when I was going to college was going shopping with my mom to buy that new comforter and all of those things for my dorm room. I mean, maybe you do that too. Maybe you continue, you buy those things and you redecorate the room. That's all those things that you would then be able to bring to the dorm right. later, but really say, ma making that mark that this is not the room that you grew up in, right? right. This, is, this is now your dorm room and, and respecting that too. Just, I, again, that just came to me. And I imagine that as families sit down and think about these things, they might be able to do a little bit of, um, you know, brainstorming around how do we make this not just a continuation, not the 13th year of school, right? right. But, but something special and different. Right. How do you make it feel different? I think that's great advice. Um, and yeah, I, I think one other thing is that, as we have mentioned earlier, is we really don't know, right, what's going to happen because colleges are still making their plans. Um, any thoughts about that um, in terms of, you know, students now? Yes, I was thinking, you know, we saw an article that came out um, this week about Stanford saying that they were going to include a student input in the decisions that they make. They were sending out a student survey. Now, they have a whole host of people that are going to be part of this decision, but they are including some of what the students say. Now, yes. be involved if you can be. I don't know how much they're going to involve the incoming class, but you guys have a say. You are now a part of that community. So, Make your voice heard. Be part of this decision if that is, if that invitation is offered. Again, being part of the community. How do you want it to look? How what do you, how do you right. feel about this? Uh, we'll be part. Yeah, of, of this decision. 
Exactly. I, I think one other thing that just comes to mind for me is that um, when I went away to college, because already it's so long ago, I didn't meet my roommate before I got there. There was no such thing as social media. We didn't talk on the phone. I just kind of showed up and, oh, hi, nice to meet you. There's my my new uh, roommate. Nowadays, um, you're able often to connect with that person before you ever arrive on campus. So maybe you can work on developing a relationship with that person. Maybe you, if you are in, online in the fall, maybe you and your roommate connect even as little as once a week just to say, hey, how's it going? And I have these things for our dorm room and I was thinking we might want this. And so that when you are back at school, you already have a relationship um, and it doesn't feel like you're with a stranger despite having been in college for a semester. So, right. you know, things like that. And so look for opportunities. Are there groups that are forming? Maybe it starts on Facebook, but moves to other social media platforms that your generation is more comfortable with. Obviously, Facebook is the platform of your parents or your mom in some cases, right? So maybe you're going to move off of that. But looking for those opportunities to connect with people so that you have some relationships already by the time you get to college. Absolutely. And that, that even goes for academic advisors, if they're reaching out yes. part of that, right? Um, I could see students sort of saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm at home, I don't need that. But yes, if, if those things are being offered, absolutely reaching out to professors, engaging in the class like you would if you were in person, joining clubs, like you said, Right. Anything to make that transition when we do get back, because I do believe we're get, we'll get back at some point uh, to make it feel like we are a part of that community. Right. Absolutely. And things like registering for classes, maybe that already takes place online, but you meet with your advisor before you do it. Um, so again, there's no reason you can't meet with your advisor via phone or via platform like Zoom or Skype and then do your online course registration. And so you need to take advantage these are all the things you're paying for. So take advantage of them, even if they are remote. And it, like you say, it feels like, well, maybe that's not necessary. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. All right. We're going to take no a short problem. break. That, um, and um, congratulate your family on staying out of the room while you were doing this too. So, um, And we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Shannon Vasconcellos is going to be here and we're going to answer your questions. So don't go away. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I promised that we would be getting to your questions when um, we returned and we're on video. For those of you who are just listening, we are making videos available of the podcast. And now I'm realizing I put my notes where it'd be easy to see, but I'm looking up over the camera. So 
I can't say that this is the most professional videos you will. These are the most professional videos you will ever watch. But hey, we're here. We're doing it. It's COVID-19. <laughs> all rules are off. Anyway, all right, we have your questions. I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Shannon Vasconcelos, who routinely joins me for these. She is a college finance expert uh, and a former financial aid officer at both BU and Tufts. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks again for joining us today. Sure. We have a ton of questions to get to. Um, and I am going to go right to them. And we're going to start with one for you. This okay. comes to us from a listener who follows us on Facebook. I highly encourage following us on Facebook. We mm -hmm. post lots of good things there. Um, her name is Christine, and she says, we live in a very high tax and cost of living area in California. And accordingly, our EFCs are very high. Will college colleges consider this factor for merit aid? Also, what are the best sites to get information on merit aid based on specific GPA and test scores? Yeah, so Christine, you, the colleges won't look at your high EFC at all. That's not going to affect merit aid at all. The EFC is really just used for need-based financial aid. Um, so that certainly would be affected by the high EFC. And if you have a high EFC, um, you may not qualify for any need-based aid. Uh, and unfortunately, the need-based aid formula uh, at most schools does not really take into account the high cost of living in certain areas of the country. Um, and there's just not much we can do about that. At, at some schools, it is taken into account, but those are the minority of schools. Um, so you, you may, depending on exactly what that EFC is and what schools you're applying to, you may not qualify for need-based financial aid, but it will not affect your um, ability to receive merit-based aid at all. In terms of the merit-based aid, uh, the colleges are generally not looking at your financial circumstances at all. They're looking at how strong a student the applicant is and how uh, badly they want to recruit them to that school. Um, so I wouldn't worry about your EFC at all in terms of merit aid possibilities. You want to make sure that your child is applying to some schools where they're going to stand out and that will maximize your chances of receiving merit aid. Uh, in terms of the websites, uh, unfortunately, there is no magic website where you can you know, plug in your test scores and your GPA and it will just spit out for you a list of schools that, that will offer you merit scholarships. Unfortunately, that does not exist. Um, there are a few resources, though, that you can use to help you figure that out. One I would recommend is the College Board's website, bigfuture.org. And on that website, you can plug in the name of any school that you're considering. Uh, and it will return a page with lots of kind of quick facts about the school, including things like average GPAs, average SAT scores, ACT scores. So that can help give you a sense. It certainly doesn't tell the whole story, but you know, is my child above or below average at this particular school? And the more above average you are, the more likely you are to receive merit scholarships. So I check out Big Future. Really, the Individual college websites are the best source of information about what kind of merit scholarships they have. Most colleges will have some sort of scholarship page where you can read about what scholarships they have. The best ones will give you some guidance in terms of if you need a certain SAT score, things like that. Some of them don't. Some of them want to give themselves more discretion in awarding the funding and don't give you a great idea of if you'll qualify or not. Um, but some college websites, and, and I would say, more often than not, the public university websites are very good in, in having very specific cutoffs for different scholarships. So I definitely check out the college websites. Uh, the other website that you might want to check out is run by friends of ours at, at EdMit. Uh, it's edmit.me. Um, we actually had Sabrina from EdMit was on the show, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but they do a lot of really sophisticated data analysis uh, in terms of schools financing. And you can create a profile on Edmit, plug in your basic financial info, um, the student's basic academic info, and you can search for schools and it will give you like a financial grade for the school in terms of how um, likely the school is to offer you some kind of funding. Um, so edmit.me is another website that that you should check out. There's no one perfect solution website that's gonna spit out the answer for you. You do have to do some research, but those are some ways that I would recommend doing some research. All right, great advice. Okay, and I have a question for you, Beth, from Patrick. 
And Patrick says the common data set provides great statistics and insight into things such as acceptance rates, demographics, and standardized tests, but few highly selective schools provide GPA information. Is there a resource for determining if a student is in the ballpark for GPA? How does rigor and weighted versus non-weighted GPAs factor into that? Right. So um, I'm going to zone in on the key piece of information you included, Patrick, and that is the highly selectives. Mm -hmm. So here is the reality at the highly selectives. The expectation is that students are earning A's and that they're earning A's in a very rigorous curriculum. So GPA, in essence, is somewhat meaningless at this level because what a lot of the highly selectives are going to do is they're going to look at the transcript itself and they're very closely evaluating what courses did this student take, what courses could this student have taken, and how did they do in those courses. So if the school is providing a GPA, I can share my experience at Penn, we didn't look at the school-provided GPA. We calculated our own GPA. We used a the actual grade that the student earned in the class, and we noted um, the rigor of the curriculum. So was it the most rigorous available? Was it rigorous? Was it standard? Was it below that? And what we were expecting to see for a competitive um, applicant was that they were basically getting A's in the curriculum that was the most rigorous available. So you know, weighted, unweighted doesn't really matter. Again, it's because they're never looking at a GPA in a vacuum. So they're always going to be looking at what you chose to take and how you actually did in each one of those classes. And so I can think of examples too, where the student might actually get a weighted grade in the class and they would provide both the unweighted grade and the weighted grade. Um, That was actually pretty rare. Usually they would just provide a weighted GPA and an unweighted GPA. Um, so we would always use the unweighted grade because we wanted the actual grade or not the grade plus five points the school awarded for an honors, let's say. Um, the place where GPAs might come into consideration is when you have a lot of applicants from a particular school group. So I can think of schools where we might have had as many as 75 or 80 students from that senior class applying, and we were calculating a GPA for all of them. And we would then also look at where they fell in relation to each other Mm -hmm. in terms of that GPA. But even there, we weren't pulling it off the transcript. We were actually calculating our own GPA. Um, So not every single highly selective does it exactly the same way that Penn does. However, they do all look at grades earned and rigor of curriculum. So In essence, I would ignore GPA. If you're wondering why that information isn't included, it's because it's not something that they think about in that way. If you're wondering if your child is going to be competitive, if they're doing extraordinarily well in a very rigorous curriculum, then there's there's at least that piece of the application is likely where it needs to be. If they're taking a highly rigorous curriculum and they're just doing okay, they're getting A's and B's, that's probably um, not going to be enough to make them competitive at the highly selective level. Right. And I think the emphasis on that, that just makes you competitive. It just kind of gets you in the door. But the most highly selective schools are denying most of the people that meet that criteria, right? Right. Exactly. We talk a lot about the difference between being competitive and being compelling, Um, Ah. right? So we get a lot of really competitive students but only uh, a a small number will make that move from being competitive to compelling. And that is everything, right? So not just what you're taking in the classroom and the grades you're earning or the test scores that you have, but also everything you are doing outside of the classroom. And then your personal presentation, your essays, your letters of recommendation. If an interview is offered, it might add a little bit of color, but it's probably not gonna be a significant part of the process. Things that we've talked about in the past and we'll talk about in the future, if you're curious about what we had to say about this, a great place to go is our blog, uh, blog blog.getintocollege.com. And in the blog, you can search for different topics. We do write-ups for our different um, podcasts. And so if you're curious, what's the podcast where maybe they've talked about this in the past, um, you could search for 
Ivy League, highly selective, um, that kind of thing. And, and you may come up with some of the, some of the, the things we've covered in the past. All right, Shannon, I have a question, another question for you. And that this one comes from Todd. Um, Todd says, I'm a physician and expecting a large income decrease for 2020 due to pandemic impact. I assume we would qualify for some financial aid once both kids are in college based on 2020 income and combined college cost estimates, but not when using 2019 income. I will be reporting 2019 income for 2021 financial aid applications. What is the simplest and most effective approach for seeking aid for 2021, assuming we don't qualify using 2019 income? Should I apply at both colleges and then immediately appeal both in January 2021 with my 2020 income? Or should I phone ahead of time and report the situation when applying this fall? Should I focus on child one's college that has more resources and pledges to meet all demonstrated need with no loans or some other approach? Lots of questions. <laughs> yes. And I think the first thing I just want to hit on is when Todd says, I forget exactly how he phrased it, that he assumes he won't be eligible based on 2019 income, but he will based on 2020. Right. Um, I, I start to get a little nervous when I hear the word assume. Lots of people assume they will or won't be eligible for financial aid, and they are completely wrong. Uh, I bet this is not the case with Todd, because I know that Todd signed his, his question as our number one fan. So I know that <laughs> Todd listens all the time, and I'm sure that he is not just assuming based on nothing. Uh, my assumption is that Todd has filled out net price calculators on the school's website, which ha where you can give them your basic financial information and it, they will spit out for you an estimate of what financial aid, if any, you will qualify for. So I'm assuming Todd, Todd did that. Uh, and so he knows that based on the 2019 income, he's not going to qualify, but on 2020, um, he, he may. And the, the, the question mark there is that none of us really know for sure at this point what our full 2020 income is going to be. Um, so what I would say, Todd, to do is when you are initially applying for financial aid for that school year that starts in 2021, but you're applying in the fall of 2020, October 1st, 2020 is when those financial aid applications will open up. Uh, and you're absolutely correct. They're going to ask for 2019 income. Um, so you have to provide you know, what they ask for on the financial aid applications. At that same point, I would write a letter uh, or an email um, to the financial aid office explaining your reduction in income, documenting everything that you can, asking them to take it into consideration for your initial awarding of financial aid. Um, now, they may or may not choose to do so at that point. Um, they may ask that you come back to them after the year completes, so January of 2021, as you suggested, with documentation of the full 2020 income. So I would ask up front because schools sometimes run out of money and I think it's good to give them all the information up front and you hope they take it into consideration up front. If they don't, go back to them on the back end after you've received your financial aid offer and uh, appeal that offer, request that they reconsider based on your updated income. Uh, so that's the, the simplest thing to do. Um, in terms of, I think you referenced, you know, should I let them know by phone up front? Don't call them, put it in writing. They always want it in writing, send them an email. Uh, and I don't see any reason to focus more on the more generous school um, or not. I send the same information to both kids' school, whether they tend to be generous or not. Just let everybody know and you hope that they take it into consideration. They're not required to take it into consideration. The generous the more generous school may be more likely to do so, but ask them both and you hope they both take it into consideration. All right. Well, we are going to, on that note, which great information as always, Shannon, um, we're going to take a break and we are going to be back in a minute with more questions. So don't go away. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are answering your questions, uh, and we are going to jump right back in. Shannon, you have one for me, so lay it on me, please. Sure. Yeah, so this question came in from Christy, uh, also submitted through our Facebook page. So folks, feel free to do that if you do have questions for us. Uh, but Christy says that it's her understanding that a test optional policy, and by the way, this was, she submitted this after our, uh, I believe it was January 9th test optional segment. So for folks interested in te- test optional schools, go back and listen to that. Uh, but she said it's her understanding that a test optional policy is used so that colleges can consider first-generation, rural, or underrepresented students who have a disadvantage when it comes to testing. Uh, She says that the University of Chicago has been pretty clear about that. Yet other schools just say their admissions are holistic for all students. Does College Coach believe that? Uh, Are there test-optional schools that would truly consider a student from, say, a highly regarded high school with high average SAT scores if they applied without scores. Schools like Bates and Bowdoin and Wake Forest is a student really not at a disadvantage applying without scores if they come from a situation where the college would expect a solid SAT score. I don't, this is what Christy says, I don't think test optional is really test optional for those students, but I would love to be proven wrong. Well, Christy, in a word, you're wrong. (laughs) So while Chicago has states that policy, that is Chicago's policy and Chicago's policy alone, all the other schools prior to COVID-19, I want to do, I want to make that clarification, who have introduced um, test optional policies, you named a couple of them, Bates, Bowdoin, Wake Forest, American, have done so because they truly believe that they do not need test scores in order to accurately evaluate a student's qualifications and ability to succeed. Um, Because let's not forget, the whole point of test scores is in theory that they are, in a way, they're predicting the student's likelihood of being successful. What these test optional schools have shown after introducing test optional policies is that they, there is no different between, difference between how successful the students are who they admit with test scores are from the students who they admit without test scores. So um, I'm not sure how I can prove you wrong. You will <laughs> believe me or you won't believe me, but the reality is that if they are test optional, they have done so for philosophical reasons and they truly believe that they do not need those test scores. And a student will not be at a disadvantage if they don't submit them to a test optional school. Um, And I will tell you that actually, I believe the very first, or it might've been the very second uh, podcast that we ever did uh, here, uh, getting in a college coach conversation. So going back five years, uh, we invited an admissions officer from American University, one of the earlier adopters of test optional Mm -hmm. to talk about how they view test optional and answer exactly these questions. 
we know from people who work on our staff who have worked at test optional schools that if a student actually accidentally submits scores and then says, I don't want them considered, they do not make it into the file. So when we used to read on paper, they would be blacked out. And if the student is reading or if the admissions officer is reading online, those scores are suppressed and the admissions officer does not even see them. All that means is that when you are considering applications, you simply are considering all of the other pieces and evaluating them. You're eliminating one element of evaluation so it makes the other pieces more important, um, but it does not make that student less competitive. It just means that they have chosen not to do test optional. Now, with that said, there are schools who are going test optional for the coming year. Um, some who have said, we're doing this for the next three years. Tufts comes to mind immediately. Mm -hmm. They were already considering test optional, and they're looking at this as a great opportunity to see if what they think will be beneficial about test optional actually is. They're going to test it for the next three years. They're going to evaluate it at that point, and then they will decide if they're going to continue with test optional or go back to requiring test scores. Um, other schools have been very clear. This is literally for the coming year and that's it. Although I do think it will be interesting to see if they feel that they are able to similarly evaluate students properly without the, the help of test scores. If they sort of say, you know what, this is kind of interesting. Maybe we continue this for another year or two and see what those results are. So I actually do think that what might happen as a result of coronavirus is that we might see a lot more schools go to test optional if they realize that, wow, this wasn't so terrible um, and we actually didn't miss those scores. Uh, that said, the, high, the highly selectives, which I hate to harp on because it's such a small percentage of students looking at those schools, but the reality is that um, at those schools, what some of them have come out very strongly and said, don't worry about subject tests. We are not recommending them. Um, actually, MIT announced they will not even consider subject tests, whether you have them or whether you don't. Um, and that appears to be like their new policy in general and nothing to do with coronavirus. Um, but Penn, I think um, there's one other highly selective and for whatever reason I'm blanking right now, have said basically, don't worry about test scores. We do really want you to have an ACT or an SAT if you can. I believe as we go into the fall, if it is not possible to get these scores done because test dates keep getting canceled, and there are a lot of questions about the in-home version that the ACT and the SAT are going to offer, I do wonder if we're not going to see all of these schools go test optional. Um, however, if you have scores and they're solid, uh, you know, that's great. But um, I think in closing... I have really veered a little bit from the original question, but in closing, if the school is test optional, they truly believe test optional is um, core to their mission, and it will not hurt a student not to have scores at those schools who have said, this is our policy, either moving forward or for at least the next three years. Perfect. Right. You know what? Not to keep you on the hot spot, Beth, but I'm wondering oh. if we should hit Christy. Actually, submitted a follow up question okay. on the same subject. So, to just um, while we're on it, if the student is in the middle 50th percentile for scores, then is that the cutoff for sending them or not sending them? I've heard the advice to call the admissions offices, but honestly, how can they guide you when they aren't seeing the rest of that? I mean, that's a, it's a very good question. I've heard that same advice. I've given that same advice. I would say that general rule of thumb is that if the scores aren't at least in the middle 50% of their published scores, then I would not send them. Um, if, it's, if they're on the lower end of the 50%, that's kind of when I think it starts to get a little bit tricky. Like, mm -hmm. do I send them? Do I not send them? I think the first thing that I would be looking at is what is that school saying about their expectations for the rigor of the student's curriculum? for their actual um, grades that they're earning. If your student looks like they're in a good place with those pieces, then maybe if the, if the scores are on the lower end of the middle 50%, you don't send them. But the reason that we recommend calling is because you'd be surprised, a lot of times admissions offices are gonna be as transparent with you as they can be, particularly about this. Because if you tell them the scores, they may know that, you know what, um, I don't think that those are really going to help you, right? Even without necessarily knowing about the rest of the application, 
they could say, I don't think those scores are going to help you. As we've already talked about, if you don't submit scores, everything else becomes more important. But if they think the scores just aren't going to help you, they can tell you that without knowing anything else, right? So that is a reason why you might uh, call because maybe they're on the lower end of the middle 50% and you're thinking, well, it's still in the middle 50%, but you call the admissions office, then they say, yeah, they are still in the middle 50%, but we don't have that many kids getting in at the low end of that middle 50%. And so Mm -hmm. I think I would just not send them. Um, So again, they may not be as transparent as you would want them to be, but there is literally zero harm in calling. No one's making a mark in your file and saying, Mm -hmm. hmm, call to ask if they should send those. They must be bad. That is not happening. (laughs) They are going to answer your question. It's not going to impact your students' chances of getting in. Um, And so that's why we do recommend making that phone call. Perfect. All right. Let's go to you, Shannon. Um, And this question, next question, comes to us uh, from Keith. Keith says, I didn't apply for financial aid yet, as I didn't want to hurt my son's chances for acceptance. Is it too late to apply for aid now that he's been accepted? If not this year, can we still apply for financial aid in subsequent years? Keith, you need to listen to our show more. <laughs> that was probably not your best choice, but okay. Shannon, what, what are your thoughts? Thank here? you for taking care of that part of it for me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> please, please don't do this, folks. Um, if, in fact, you need financial aid, please, please, please apply for it. There is no use getting into a school if you can't afford to actually attend. Yes. So if you need financial aid, please apply for it. Please apply by their deadline. Um, but if you haven't done that, like Keith there, and I'm I'm assuming, hoping that Keith doesn't really need financial aid, um, and maybe he wants some, but he can get by without it. Um, and that's why he did this. But um, so Keith, can you apply now? You can. Whether or not you will receive any money now is another question. Now, and one I can't answer for you because it truly depends on the school. There are some colleges that are very, very strict about their deadline and you miss it by one day, that's it. You're not getting any financial aid from them. Uh, You can still get some uh, guaranteed federal student loans um, no matter how late you apply, but at some schools in terms of any institutional grant money, which is really what you're hoping for in most cases, um, that may be off the table for this year at this point. You never know though. Um, So uh, and just like in terms of asking about you know, test scores of the admissions office, it never hurts to ask um, if you can apply for financial aid. At this point, you've already been accepted. It's not going to hurt your chances of acceptance. Um, so go ahead and, and apply for it um, and see what happens. I have found schools being kind of more generous in this application cycle with people requesting funds, maybe a little bit late or um, maybe asking for more money than they originally received because schools are, I I think, really anxious about filling the seats in their class for for this upcoming fall. Uh, And so you may get lucky. Maybe in another year, a school would have said no at this point. Maybe they say yes. So go ahead and apply for financial aid. You may or may not receive it for this year if you've already missed the school's deadline, which you probably have. And in terms of next year, I would say uh, most schools, you are okay to apply for aid for next year. Um, certainly not all schools though. There are some schools that are very strict where you don't apply for aid initially. Sorry, you are never getting financial aid from our school for the next four years. Uh, and you know, if you have a change in circumstances, maybe some schools will consider that some schools really won't. There are a few, I would say really, really strict schools out there where you're just out of luck for four years. So uh, I would say keep, make sure that you understand if you can, in fact, afford the school for four years without financial aid before you make that final enrollment decision. If you can't, don't enroll in that school. Um, but you know, before making that decision, I would have a conversation with the financial aid office. It, it, you know, I under, for, apply for financial aid for this year, see if they give it to you. you know, if not, hey, uh, can I still apply next year? Will I receive financial aid potentially next year? Or is this it? They will tell you that. Again, they're going to they're be transparent. If their policy is you don't get it for four years, they'll tell you that. So make sure you have that conversation uh, before making any enrollment decisions. 
Yeah. I, can I just put a plug in here for if you think you need financial aid, you absolutely should be applying for it. You, It is not worth it to play this game. The reality is that um, at schools that are need aware, it's really kids who are on the bubble who, who yes. you know, it is. And by on the bubble, I mean, they were already maybe not super competitive. And then in addition to that, they need a lot of aid. Um, those are the kids who probably will suffer. And I get the desire for your kid to be as competitive as possible, but does it do anybody any good if they end up in a huge amount of debt or if you do, or if you end up paying way more for college than you really should, because you do qualify for aid. I, I just, I don't think I can stress enough. And to Shannon's point, if you, I think it's worth filling out the FAFSA and going through the application process, because what if something like this happens again? You know, you, you want it that you want to at least have the right and the ability to apply for aid. And like you, I know of some schools where if you don't apply for aid freshman year, you're out. That's it. You're, you're never going to get any aid. And that's just, it's so much money. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we have time for one more question. I guess it depends on if the answer is a short one, Shannon. And <laughs> well, I, I know that this one is a short one. Okay. Um, my junior is struggling with volunteering, finding opportunities to help bolster her resume with activities aligned with her interest in the medical community. She's interested in nursing. Do you have any ideas? Yes. And the reason this is a short one is because... Uh, off the top of my head, no. However, um, next week's show, we are uh, one of our colleagues, Lauren DiProspero, who is the former director of admissions for medical school at both Stanford and Columbia, is joining the show and is going to be offering suggestions for things that students who plan to apply to medical school, or actually who plan to be going to college and ultimately want to be doctors, can be doing with their time. And I would say those suggestions are going to apply across the spectrum of health related uh, majors and interests. So I would check that out. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for being here today and giving such great responses to our listener questions. You're um, so welcome. Yes, the next week Ian is back. He is hosting. Um, we're talking about, I just shared the med school piece. Also, how colleges are going to view pass-fail grades. We talked a lot about grades and rigor and GPAs. What happens if you don't get grades this semester? We're going to talk you through that. Also talking about how to fund, think about funding college beyond the financial aid award. Um, don't forget to visit our website. If you have a question, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.